0: And in each of these versions of the story, Jesus announces the the arrival of God's just future, or or what the Gospels refer to as the kingdom. But he's rejecting uh, three methods of bringing that justice to fruition. So we're going to look at each one of those. Welcome to the Jesus for Everyone podcast. My name is Herb Montgomery, and this is episode 335, and our title is... Three Paths Toward Change rejected. In uh, uh, Mark's gospel, we read right at the very beginning, Mark 1, verse 12, at once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels attended him. The story of Jesus's temptations in the wilderness is believed to have been a part of the earliest Jesus tradition, and each of the the next two synoptic gospels written, Matthew and then Luke, the story is given more detail. We'll look at each of those. In Matthew 4, 1 through 11, we read, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high point and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written... Worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Then the devil left Him, and angels came and attended Him. Now, Luke's version of the story gives us a few differences, uh, specifically in order, Uh, Luke 4, 1 through 13. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days He was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, He was famished. The devil said to him, If you're the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. And Jesus answered to him, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I'll give their glory and all of this authority, for it has been given over to me, and I will give it to anyone I please. If then you will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to protect you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test, The devil had finished every test. He departed from him until an opportune time. Jesus rejected the Satan in these stories three times. And in each of these versions of the story, Jesus announces the the arrival of God's just future, or, or what the Gospels refer to as the kingdom. But he's rejecting three methods of bringing that justice to fruition. So we're going to look at each one of those. Let's look at bread first. Jesus chose not to justify a system simply because it offered bread. Rome promised sustenance to its inhabitants, but at what cost? In our time, uh, Duke Energy recently abandoned its, its Atlantic coast pipeline project and it cited costs due to activist obstruction and some people with power pushed back against this monumental decision by pointing to the jobs that would now be lost and such people believe that placing profit above the planet that that's justified because despite the ecological damage the pipeline produced jobs for the working class and and profit to many company owners It produced bread, but again, at what cost? Exploitative economic systems, they create scarcity to create a narrative needed for their survival. Scarcity of things that we need, it produces undercurrents of of survival anxiety for us. And our, our desire for security and assurance... Assurance that our needs will be met, that, that we'll have bread, it drives us to support systems that promise to fulfill those needs regardless of how people or how our planet suffer as a result. And without fail, those who are most driven by this economic anxiety, they protect and they defend these systems at all costs. This is the essence of of exploitative economies, and it comes with a, a long list of, of, of victims uh, upon which we lay the cost of our hopes that these systems will give us the bread that we need. Jesus' first temptation was to coerce nature, to turn stones into bread. Think of, of Monsanto, if you will, or the meat and the dairy industry here in the United States, which is, has deemed essential workers expendable during this pandemic. Henry Kissinger once wrote, those who control the food supply control the people. And now and in the times of Jesus, the way to establish an exploitative system economically was to control what supplies people's quote-unquote bread needs. Jesus rejects the use of such methods in establishing God's uh, just future. And he quotes from from Deuteronomy here, Deuteronomy eight three. He humbled you by letting you hunger, then by feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors were with with which neither you nor your ancestors were acquainted, in order to make you understand that one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus saw what the temptation really was. He refused to prioritize profit or, or bread over justice. And instead chose the ancient Hebrew narrative of of manna. Needs will be supplied. This is what that story teaches us. Needs will be supplied, not by accumulation and exploitation, but they'll be supplied daily as needed. There will be more manna uh, tomorrow. Jesus rejected a narrative of scarcity and anxiety and accumulation and exploitation for a narrative of trust and gratitude and and sharing and, and generosity. As Gandhi said, earth provides enough to satisfy every person's needs, but not every person's greed. The accumulation of bread is not the highest value of God's just future. God values how that bread is produced and what its production either violates or affirms. Our hope is not by bread alone. The second uh, uh, temptation, depending on how you look at it, which gospel you favor, is the one of self-sacrifice. In both Matthew and Luke's version of the story, Jesus is also tempted to sacrifice himself while assuming that he would be spared death. And his response is not to... Put God to the test. The temple mount that the devil told him to leap from was the symbol at the core of his society's political, economic, and religious systems. His temptation was to sacrifice himself in front of this system with the promise that in the end, God's just future would come through this sacrifice. And this temptation strikes at the heart of the method most pushed on the masses who. Desire social change. I want to be very clear here. I don't believe the oppressed must sacrifice themselves even further to achieve social change. Uh, the sacrifice of innocent victims for achieving social change has a long history. I don't believe Jesus taught that. When our selves are already being sacrificed by an unjust system. Jesus didn't tell the oppressed community to sacrifice themselves even further. Speaking of how the idea of sacrifice has impacted women specifically in Christianity, Elizabeth Bettenhausen she writes. Now this is from the book Christianity: Christianity, Patriarchy, and Abuse, page um, Roman numeral uh, 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 twelve. It's in the the forward, which has the, the which is delineated the pages are delineated by by roman numerals she writes christian theology has long imposed upon women a norm of imitative self-sacrifice based on the crucifixion of jesus of nazareth powerlessness is equated with faithfulness. When the cross is also interpreted as the salvific work of an all-powerful paternal deity, women's well-being is as secure as that of a child cowering before an abusive father. In Brown and Parker's essay, in the same book, Christianity, Patriarchy, Patriarchy and Abuse, page 1 and 2, their essay entitled, For God So Loved the World, they write, Women are acculturated to accept abuse. When we come to believe that it is our place to suffer, Christianity has been a primary, and in many women's lives, the primary force in shaping our acceptance of abuse. The central image of Christ on the cross as the Savior of the world communicates the message that suffering is redemptive. However we interpret the cross, we have to hold that intention with Jesus's rejection of self-sacrifice here in the temptations. Mary Daly makes a similar comment in in God or uh, Beyond God the Father page 77, she writes the qualities that Christianity idealizes, especially for women, are also those of a victim. Sacrificial love, passive acceptance of suffering, humility, meekness, etc. Since these are the qualities idealized in Jesus who died for our sins, his functioning as a model reinforces the scapegoat syndrome for women. Again, Brown and Parker, in the same essay, they write, this is from page 20 of Christianity, Patriarchy, and Abuse. The problem with this theology is that it asks people to suffer for the sake of helping evildoers see their evil ways. It puts concern for the evildoers ahead of concern for the victim of evil. It makes victims the servants of the evildoers' salvation. Brown and Parker, they also critique even nonviolent movements that use self-sacrifice to drive change. They they use some of the methods used by Martin Luther King Jr. as an example, where, where, where King saw suffering as... Uh, most of this is from page 20 as well, a most creative, this is a sermon from King that they're quoting, a most creative and powerful social force. The non say that suffering becomes a powerful social force when you're willing to Accept that violence on yourself so that self suffering stands at the center of the nonviolent movement and the individuals involved are able to suffer in a creative manner, feeling that unearned suffering is redemptive and that the suffering may serve to transform the social si- situation. Finally, Dolores Williams, in her classic book, Sisters in the Wilderness, she builds. On this critique, with applications specifically for Black women, these insights for me have been powerfully transformative, especially for me personally. And and I want to share them with you. This is from uh, uh, Sisters in the Wilderness, page one. 30. It's rather lengthy, but bear with me. It's worth it. Matthew, Mark, and Luke suggest that Jesus did not come to redeem humans by showing them God's love manifested in the death of God's innocent child on a cross erected by cruel, imperialistic, patriarchal power. Rather, the text suggests that the Spirit of God in Jesus came to show humans. Life, to show redemption through a perfect ministerial vision of writing relations between body, individual, and community, mind of humans and of tradition. And spirit. A female male inclusive vision, Jesus' ministry of writing relationships involved raising the dead, those separated from life and community, casting out demons, for example, ridding the mind of destructive forces prohibiting the flourishing of positive, peaceful life, and proclaiming the word of life that demanded the transformation of tradition so that life could be lived more abundantly. God's gifts to humans through Jesus was to invite them to participate in this ministerial vision. Whosoever will let them come, this vision of writing relations, this response or the response to this vision, this invitation by human principalities and powers was the horrible deed the cross represents. The evil of humankind trying to kill the ministerial vision of life in relation that Jesus brought to humanity. The resurrection does not depend upon the cross for life, for the cross only represents historical evil trying to defeat good the resurrection of Jesus and the flourishing of God's spirit in the world as the result of the resurrection represents the life of the ministerial vision gaining victory over over the evil attempt to kill it. Thus, to respond meaningfully to black women's historical experience of surrogacy oppression, the womanist theologian must show that redemption of humans can have nothing to do with any kind of surrogate or substitute role Jesus was reputed to have played in a bloody act that supposedly gained victory over sin and or evil. Again, on page 130 to 131, she goes on Black women are intelligent people living in a technological world where nuclear bombs, defilement of the earth, racism, sexism, dope, economic injustices, attest to the presence and power of evil in the world. Perhaps not many people today can believe that evil and sin were overcome by Jesus' death on the cross. That is, that Jesus took human sin upon himself and therefore saved humankind. Rather, it seems more intelligent and more scriptural to understand that redemption had to do with God through Jesus, giving humankind new vision, to see the resources for positive, abundant, relational life. Redemption had to do with God, through the ministerial vision, given humankind the ethical thought and practice upon which to build positive, productive quality of life. Hence, the kingdom of God theme in the ministerial vision of Jesus does not point to death. It's not something one has to die to reach. Rather, the kingdom of God is a metaphor of hope that God gives those attempting to right the relations between self and self, between self and others, and between self and God as prescribed in the Sermon on the Mount, in the golden rule. And in the commandment to show love above all else. And lastly, on the following two pages, or following page, 132, uh, she writes, The resurrection of Jesus and the kingdom of God theme and the ministerial vision provide black women with the knowledge that God has, through Jesus, shown humankind how to live peacefully productively, and abundantly in relationship. Humankind is then redeemed through Jesus' ministerial vision of life and not through his death. There is nothing divine in the blood of the cross. God does not intend... black women's surrogacy experience and neither can christian faith affirm such an idea. Jesus did not come to be a surrogate. Jesus came for life to show humans a perfect vision of ministerial relation that humans had very little knowledge of. As christians, black women can forget the cannot forget the cross, but neither can they glorify it, for to do so is to glorify suffering and to render their exploitation Sacred to do so is to glorify the sin of defilement. And again, Brown and Parker, from their article, God's, so, their essay, God so loved the world, they they agree with a uh, uh, Williams here. Suffering is never redemptive. Suffering cannot be redeemed. The cross is a sign of tragedy. God's grief is revealed there and everywhere and every time life is thwarted by violence. God's grief is the ultimate. Uh, as god's love sorry god's grief is as ultimate as god's love every trage- tra- every tragedy eternally remains and is eternally mourned eternally the murdered scream betrayal eternally god sings kaddish for the world to be a christian means keeping faith with those who have heard and lived god's call for justice radical love, and liberation, who have challenged unjust systems, both political and and ecclesiastical, and who in that struggle have refused to be victims, have refused to cower under the threat of violence and suffering and death. Fullness of life is attained in moments of decision for such faithfulness and integrity. When the threat of death is refused and the choice is made for justice, radical love, and liberation, the power of death is overthrown. Resurrection is radical courage. Resurrection means that death is overcome and those precise instances when humans begin choosing life, refusing the threat of death. Jesus climbed out of the grave in the Garden of Gethsemane when he refused to abandon his commitment to the truth, even though his enemies threatened him with death. On Good Friday, the resurrected one was crucified. It is not the acceptance of suffering that gives life. It is the commitment to life that gives life. The question, moreover, is not am I willing to suffer, but do I desire to fully live? This distinction is subtle and to some specious, but in the end, it makes a great difference in how we interpret and respond to suffering. Such theology has devastating effects on human life. The reality is that victimization never leads to triumph. It can lead to extended pain pain. If it is not refused or fought, it can lead to destruction of the human spirit through the death of a person's sense of power, worth, dignity, or creativity, and it can lead to actual death. All of these statements and critiques give us so much to ponder especially in the context of seeing Jesus' rejection of this path of sacrificing oneself to attain social change. Jesus did not choose the way of sacrifice in the Three Temptations. He rejected the way of sacrifice. And instead, in the words of Brown and Parker, he chose to live a life in opposition to unjust, oppressive cultures. Jesus chose integrity, faithfulness, and refusing to change course. Because of threat. And these insights, they have grave implications for how some sectors of Christianity today are teaching or how we have traditionally interpreted the death and resurrection of Jesus. If these are new thoughts for you, I want to recommend to you a series on our website at Renewed Heart Ministries. You go to renewedheartministries.com. I'll put a link to it in this week's e site, but go to uh, resources, then go to our audio series and look for the series Nonviolence and the cross. As Katie Cannon sternly admonishes us, theologians need to rethink seriously about the real-life consequences of teaching redemptive suffering. God talk that equates the acceptance of pain, misery, and abuse as the way for a true believer to live as an authentic Christian disciple, those who spew such false teaching and warped preaching must cease and desist. And then there's a third path, that Jesus, uh, in the story here, chooses to reject too. And let's look at that lastly in the moments that we have left here. And that's complicity. In both Matthew and Luke, Jesus was tempted to arrive at God's just future through being complicit with the kingdoms of this world or the exploitative and oppressive systems of our world. But he resisted that temptation. Uh, he resisted that path of achieving God's just future by, by bowing down. And, and he instead worshiped God and God's just future alone, only. God's just future cannot be achieved through compromise with exploitation, oppression, and exclusion. Christianity has a long history of being complicit in systems that oppress and, and, and some adherents still use it to promote, uh, they still use Christianity to promote things like white supremacy or neocolonialism or or capitalism today or heterosexism or or sexism period or racism and there's so much more that needs to be said about this Uh, we, we 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 do need to save it for a different time. We just don't have the the length to, to to go into great detail on this third one this week. But I'm reminded of the words here of the late Peter Gomes when he wrote the scandalous Gospel of Jesus. When Jesus followers choose complicity, he he explains the church then is made an agency of continuity rather than of change conformity rather than transformation becomes the reigning ideology of the day and the church that is comfortable with the powers that be is no threat to them these early jesus story narratives of the temptations they give us much to think about as we too continue to work uh, toward moving our world toward uh, a a more just future uh, today. Another world is possible, and we must reject some common means of getting there. Heart Group application this week. We at Renewed Heart Ministries are continuing to ask... All heart groups, not to meet together physically at this time. Please stay virtually connected. Um, a lot of our groups are meeting through Zoom. I know I'm I'm uh, 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 facilitating a facilitating a Zoom heart group on Wednesday nights, and 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 practice in doing this. We're practicing that social distancing. When you do go out, remember to keep that distance between you and others, uh, that six foot distance. Wear a mask and continue to wash your hands so that we can stop the spread of the virus. This is also a time where we can practice, as we've said each week, the resource sharing and mutual aid found in the Gospels and make sure that the others in your group have what they need too. This is a time to work together and prioritize protecting those most vulnerable uh, among us. How many ways can you come up with during this time uh, to take care of each other while we're physically apart? Number one this week, share something that spoke to you from this week's E-Sider podcast uh, with your heart group? What parts of this week uh, uh, jumped out at you, spoke to you, uh, resonated with you maybe uh, most deeply? Number two, have you experienced... Any of the three methods that we've mentioned this week used by sectors of the Christian church? What are some examples? Have you witnessed secular social justice movements or organizations uh, promoting any of the above methods? Discuss that with your group. And then number three, what can you do this week, big or small, to continue setting in motion the work of shaping our world into a safe, compassionate, just home for everyone. Discuss with your group this, and then pick something from the discussion and begin putting it into practice this upcoming week. Thanks for checking in with us today, right where you are. Keep living in love, choosing compassion, taking action, and working toward justice. I love each one of you dearly. I'll see you next week.